my interpretation of living beyond the dollar would be, am I enjoying the money that I'm making? And I'm not saying I'm making copious amounts of money. Again, I'm going back to that point where I'm not going to the ATM with my suitcase, but I'm not here to just work. I knew I came here with purpose. I knew I came here to travel and I knew I came here to document my travels and to inspire and help other people to travel too. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee King, your host, and this is your space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. In this episode, I chat with Anissa, who's better known as Expat Panda, a blogger and South African teacher who's been living and traveling overseas for a number of years. We chat about her journey into becoming an expat teacher and what it's been like experiencing different cultures. We also dive deep into the many challenges of living and working in another country, as well as how you can prepare both emotionally and financially if you're considering working overseas. This episode is brought to you by Fabric, a one-stop shop to organize your family's financial life. They have a few neat features. Fabric Will is a free and easy way to create a last will and testament that has been used by tens of thousands of families. I've personally tried it out and it's a pretty straightforward process. There's also Fabric Vault, a free and easy way for spouses and partners to create a map of their family's finances and securely share this information with each other. So think credit card information and account logins. They also offer Fabric Premium, a simple and affordable term life insurance issued by Vantis Life. To find out more and get started by creating a free account for both Fabric Wills and Fabric Vault, head over to www.meetfabric.com. And to find resources we shared in this episode, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. All right, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Welcome, Anissa, to Beyond the Dollar. Thanks for having me. So before we start, I love the fact that you call yourself expat panda. Can you (laughs) let me and the listeners know why you decided on that name. Honestly, if I had known I was going to get this question as often as I do, I probably would have (laughs) put more thought into the whole process. But it was literally like I had accepted a job offer to move to Kuwait. And I knew I was going to start a blog. So I was trying to brainstorm names. And it's really difficult. Like everything (laughs) good is taken. And everything else is kind of corny. So I was just like, you know what? I love pandas and I'm going to be an expat. So let's just see where this goes. I mean, there was literally no huge thought process or huge significance behind it. And I think it was my sister who suggested it to me initially. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, okay, that seems fine. And I just went ahead with it. And now people ask me that all the time and they expect something really meaningful. (laughs) 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 It's in anything, you know? So yeah, I love that. No, I um I totally get it. I think some people go, oh, that sounds like a fun name, and then they'll they'll do it. So my previous website was called High Fiving Dollars, and it, I didn't put much thought into it either. It was like, oh, what do you do when you're happy? You high five each other, and I talk about money. So that's my name, and I had that for about a year and a bit, and then decided to rebrand and to be on the dollar. So I love that you started your blog when you decided to go into teaching. So. Can you just let the listeners know a little bit about where you're from and where you're currently teaching right now? 
Okay, so basically I'm from the east coast of South Africa. My city is called Durban. And I basically grew up there. And when I was finishing my undergraduate degree, there were these people that came to my university and started talking about the benefits of going to teach in South Korea. And like, I have to say, I had no interest in teaching. My degree was not focused on teaching. And I didn't know a single thing about South Korea. But I also didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I was like, you know what, let me apply and see what happens. And of course, fast forward two years later, I find myself like living in Korea and not wanting to leave. But I decided to go back to South Africa and finish my education. So I went back, I did my teaching degree, I did my master's in education. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready to move abroad again. So that was when I started the blog because I had already gone through the process of being an expat, of moving away initially. So I kind of had an idea of what to expect. But at the same time, I knew that there are a lot of South Africans and other people as well who don't really know what the process entails and they have a lot of questions about it. So I decided I would start the blog and document my whole journey from packing to visa to landing. And hopefully that would answer people's questions and also give them an idea of what to expect if they were going to move abroad. The blog has spiraled beyond that, not intentionally, but that's just how these things sort of evolved. So I'm happy with it. And I'm happy that a lot of people have found the blog useful, especially people who are wanting to teach abroad in the Middle East. Because the Middle East is kind of a tricky region. You don't really know you know, is it safe? Like, what can I wear? So there are a lot of questions. And I've been able to help a lot of people through that, which makes me happy. I love that. I I wish there were more blogs like that around when I started going overseas, but not to say I went to the Middle East, but I ended up in China for about eight years. And it was, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, a little, yeah, on and off eight years. And it was interesting navigating China without... I mean, maybe I didn't seek out blogs, but it was really interesting navigating that. And I, I think in retrospect, it was a great learning experience, but I, I'm so happy for people now who are open to talking about their experiences because it can be scary. I mean, I remember wondering how I was going to transfer money back home, Yeah, yeah. you know, visa issues, like where do I get a, an apartment? Like who takes care of that? What happens if I want to quit my job? Because yeah. um, I'm not quite sure about where you're at now, but in China, your visa is tied to your employer. And I think in South South Korea, it was the same thing. And so I think it's, I think that's across the board. Like everywhere I've lived, your employer is your lifeline in the country. And I think just to touch on an earlier point that you brought up, like when I moved to South Korea, it was about um, 2010, 2011, and there were blogs, but they weren't very detailed. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they were just talking about, you know, cool coffee shops or, train journeys or the most obscure topics. And so I already knew that if I was going to start a blog, I needed to move beyond that. I needed to really tell people like, okay, you need a criminal record check. This is where you go and get one, you know, like really get down with it because that's what I needed to know. And I didn't know that either. I was kind of fumbling in the dark when I first moved. So that was a whole motivation and kind of inspiration for me. And I totally get what you're saying. Like sometimes you just don't know, you really don't know what to expect and reading someone else's experiences can really help with that. Yeah, I you know, just just as in terms of that, I remember I was living in South Korea and had gotten a job in China and so I knew 
the process. I was like, I had to get a criminal record check and uh, make sure my my visa was all sorted. And so I was like, okay, great. I'll go to the Chinese embassy in Seoul. And it turned out that they, for whatever reason, only issued tourist visas. And I needed a employment visa. And so it was really, it, I'm not sure if it's different now, but back when I moved in 2007, you had to get like a temporary employment visa, then you get to China and then you get another one. Anyway, so it was really, it was crazy complicated. I ended up having to actually take the train to Busan, which is all the way across the country. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had to do that. Like I'd take, I, it was, it was difficult because I couldn't really take time off work. My employer wouldn't let me. So I had to figure out like how to get there on a weekday. Yeah. And it was, and it cost, and it cost me a lot. Like not a lot of it got reimbursed. I know some employers do, but I paid hundreds of dollars to figure this out. And I think it's really important to talk about the money side of things in terms of like how much is going to cost you up front. What if you get to another country and they don't pay you for a month? Because I, I think yeah. I remember in South Korea, that's how it worked for me. I, I didn't get paid for like, I think a month and a half because of how the pay cycle worked. And so thank goodness one of my really good friends told me that. She said, make sure you have enough money to last you at least a month and a half. Um, you can get an advance from your employer, but if if possible, try to make sure you have enough money. And so if it wasn't for her, I, I don't, I would have been caught with a very nasty surprise in terms of like how much money I had in the bank when yeah, I first moved there. Yeah. I mean, was it like that for you? Did you have to learn? Because I think when you move to a new place and I'd love to hear when you moved to Dubai, like how was it navigating like apartments, figure out how much things cost and, and all the general kind of life stuff? Okay, so I will talk about two different experiences because they were <clears throat> very different from each other. So the first country I moved to in the Middle East was Kuwait. If you don't know, Kuwait is basically the richest of the Gulf countries. And they're one of the smaller ones, although not the smallest, that's Bahrain. So I moved to Kuwait and I did know that I would have to have some money. So I did take about one salary's equivalent with me. I did get paid at the end of the month. So basically, I arrived beginning of September and I did get paid at the end of September. And I was very fortuitous because I know that's not the case with a lot of jobs abroad. But the problem was that by this time, my paperwork had not been sorted out, not through any fault of my own, but mostly because I was working for a very, let's say, relaxed employer. <laughs> Yes, And of course, I was also living in a very relaxed country when it comes to these kind of things. So my paperwork wasn't processed, which means that I couldn't get a bank account. So I got a check. I had to go to the bank and cash a check. And where I'm from, like I missed the whole cashing a check phase in life. This is not a thing that was normal for me. So I had all this cash. <laughs> and, you know, I was literally like storing it under the mattress because... What do you do? Like, I never had to face this kind of problem previously. And then I couldn't send money to South Africa easily. I'd have to go and look for a money exchange place. And most of them were only sending money to the Philippines or to Sri Lanka or Bangladesh or India or Pakistan, because that was the majority of expats in Kuwait. And South Africa is very much in the minority. So I remember one afternoon, I literally went to like six different places looking where I could send money to South Africa because I had expenses back home. I own an apartment and I had things to pay off. And, you know, the reason you move abroad for most people is to save money, of course, but also to maintain the existing expenses that you do have. 
So anyway, I eventually found a place to send money via and that was all right. I mean, it was really inconvenient, but what can you do? So I arrived in Kuwait in September and I'm not kidding you. I only got a bank account in January of the following year. Wow. So all that time I was just accumulating cash. And this is honestly the most inconvenient thing. And I probably sound like such a whiner, like, oh yeah, but you were earning money, but like it, you just take for granted the convenience of having a debit card. Like imagine going to the mall and you don't know how much money you're going to spend. So now what do you do? Like, do you take a whole envelope of like just wads of cash? Like it was just the most ridiculous thing for me. So that was really inconvenient. The paperwork in Kuwait took forever. So that was my experience there. So I was earning money, but I was getting in cash. Now, when I came to the UAE, I came in with a, how can I say it? Like a big group of people because we came through an initiative to teach in the public schools in Abu Dhabi. So it was like maybe a thousand of us had arrived within one week. We went through an orientation program. We were given options for housing. We chose our housing. And then the company gave us 20,000 dirhams as a furniture allowance. Now, this was the only money we got for three months. And the reason for the delay was because they wanted to process everybody's visas. So these thousands of people that had come in and then open everybody's bank accounts and then pay us. There was no option for cash or checks because this was, this is the government. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's no way to go into someone's office and collect it. Like that, that wasn't a thing. So yeah, I was without a paycheck for three months. I have to say for myself, I was coming from Kuwait. I had saved money, so I was perfectly okay. But it was a real struggle for people who had just moved from their home countries. Although we were told to anticipate this kind of delay. So we did have forewarning from the employer. Eventually, the paperwork was done and the bank accounts were opened and we did get all our money. We were back paid. So that was really great. But yeah, it was a very different experience, like between Kuwait and here. Here, the paperwork was done really fast. Like I got my passport back within the first two or three weeks. Whereas in Kuwait, my passport was kept by the employer for the like three or four months. So it was really a very different kind of situation. But yeah, what I've learned is you just have to over budget. Like when you first start that contract, you have to come with more money than you think you need. Because when you first move somewhere, you have a lot of expenses that you may not be thinking about when you are in your home country. Like just simple things like buying things for your home, you know, buying a set of pots and pans or buying extra blankets, things like that. You need money to be able to buy those things. And I've always found that the first two months are the most expensive, actually, when you move somewhere. So yeah, I definitely have to over over budget when it comes to that things do settle down a lot of people rely on their credit cards to get them through that phase i mean whatever works for you but yeah the initial moving it's tough emotionally and financially yeah i completely agree and i found that when i was in a country that the primary language wasn't english that made it more difficult i remember first moving to china and it was a completely different experience from South Korea because when I went in South went to South Korea, it was a furnished apartment. 
I mean, I they gave me cooking utensils, a pot, bed sheets, all of that. And so I was very lucky in that sense where I didn't have to go out and buy things right away. It was already provided for me. I think I ended up buying yeah. a couch and, and but that was a couple months later. So my expectation when I went to China was like the same, which in in retrospect, I shouldn't have expected that. But that's my only experience was this is what happens in South Korea, must happen in other countries. And so I arrived in China. This was like, I think it was like 7 p.m. at night. I had no idea where I was. And the foreign liaisons, I think that was her job title, dropped me off the apartment. It was furnished. And she's like, okay, well, here are the keys. Here's the phone number of the school. And here's the directions. We'll see you tomorrow. And she left. I thought, okay. And I remember walking to the bedroom. I was like, there are no bed sheets. I don't have a cup. If I want to drink water, what do I do? And yeah. So I, rem- I remember looking at the apartment and I was like, figuring out where the roads were. And I was like, okay. So I, I, f- I felt like like Hansel and Gretel re- leave like breadcrumb trails <laughs> where I was like, okay, if I'm wa- how, this is how many steps it takes to go to this intersection. And I, it was, it was, it seemed really silly, but I, re- yeah. So no, it's not silly. It was difficult yeah, yeah. in the early days before Google Maps I, and smartphones. Yes, that's true. I did not have, it was bloody difficult. Yeah. This was pre-smartphones. I think it's, a, I don't want to say it's easy. I don't want to say it's easy for Bill Knight. It's easier. But I didn't have those tools. And I, rem- I remember going and I finally found someone who thought spoke English. Like, I don't know what made me think that. So I went, I'm like, where do you buy pillows? Uh, and this guy just looks at me in shock. He was like, he pointed around the corner. And so I walked around the corner and it was like a Walmart. And I thought, oh, and it was like that like, sense of relief. And it's yeah. like things like that. I don't think people necessarily understand until you go to a new place. Like whereas now Absolutely. whereas now if I moved across town, I'm like, okay, well, I know exactly where the Walmarts are. I know where the supermarkets are. I don't have to think about that. But when you're somewhere completely new, maybe you're by yourself or even with someone else, like you're exploring together. Like I remember finding out, I think it was a week later that some of the teachers who first came didn't even go out because they were just so terrified. They like arrived in the middle of the night. And so they slept on a towel that they brought with them, like on the bed. And uh, I was like, oh man, like it, it, it's like these little things. But I, yes, absolutely. yeah, and I do agree with you about budgeting for more because when I went to China, I took it for granted that I had, I'm like, I have money saved. They told me that we'll get paid in two weeks. And then we didn't. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I felt a little bit embarrassed. I, I did end up having to borrow money from relative who lived very close by but yeah like that like these things these little things that seem very minor can be extremely stressful when you're in a new place yeah it it does seem minor when you talk about it now but i know it's just overwhelming especially like your first time you know in a place where you possibly can't read any of the signs around you the weather is not what you're used to and it's just a lot going on I remember when I first arrived in South Korea, it was minus four degrees Celsius. <laughs> like I'm from a place where winter is 14 <laughs> at the lowest. And, you know, I couldn't read any Korean, obviously. It was just like, I thought, what am I doing here? Like, have I made a huge mistake? <laughs> but, you know, when you look back on it, those are the experiences that kind of, I don't want to say toughen you up, but you do feel stronger after you've overcome those challenges. And also it helps you to appreciate how far you've come when you look back on your journey, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. Like I remember telling people that I was crying at the post office and they just thought I was insane. But I'm like, well, when you've been there, stuck there for 45 minutes and you have no idea what, what how to send a package, it, it becomes 
very stressful. But I do want to do a little 180 in terms of the benefits of being overseas. I know for a lot of people, they go off there to pay off debt. They do it to work and travel at the same time. So what was your reason to to move back overseas? Uh, my biggest reason was definitely to be able to travel more because... Okay, so let me just give you some background information. I was also teaching for two and a half years in South Africa. And what you can make salary-wise as a teacher in South Africa is kind of barely enough for you to rent your own apartment and support yourself and pay your bills. And maybe, maybe if you're lucky, you'll be able to have a car. But usually teachers would either be having an apartment or having a car and living with family. This is quite the normal situation. Like in South Africa, we don't have this big drive to move out of our parents' homes, mostly because of financial constraints, okay? Like we don't, like it's, it's not a norm to move out for university, whereas in North America, it seems to be a norm. But then again, we don't have huge crushing mountains of student debt. So that's another topic altogether. But anyway, so yeah, I was living in, in South Africa. And I have to say, like, I was barely making ends meet, you know, because I, I, I was not living with family. And I needed to maintain all of my expenses. But of course, you also want to enjoy life. And there was very little opportunity for travel or explorations outside of South Africa, just geographically where we're located, there aren't that many places that are like within a five hour flight radius. And I know people that are living in the US, for example, would understand this. So my hugest draw card was that I wanted to start traveling again. And I had traveled a lot when I lived in South Korea. I mean, there were so many great countries nearby and the, those countries themselves were so affordable to visit. So I wanted to get back into that. And there was no way it was going to happen when I was living and earning in South Africa, which is why I decided to take a job in the Middle East. Also because I did have expenses that I needed to maintain, as I mentioned before, in South Africa. So yeah, I came out to Kuwait and now the UAE and I have been able to travel a lot which is one of the reasons that I really enjoy living here. There are a lot of challenges associated with teaching abroad, but I feel personally for me that the option to travel where I want to, when I want to is far, it, it's fine. Like I'd be happy to put up with all the stuff that I have to put up with, you know, just to be able to travel. That's it for me. But I do know other people are here to pay off student debt or to save money to buy a home in their home country or. A lot of people have different goals, but for me, I just love to travel and I wanted to get back into doing that. Love it. So let's talk about the benefits of a job over a teaching job overseas or not just a job. Like I know, and I mentioned very briefly earlier that I had an apartment, things paid, some things paid for, like what, what's it like for you in terms of the financial benefits of working at a school in the Middle East? Well, it really depends on your school. Like, for example, my school in Kuwait offered a fully furnished one-bedroom apartment and you don't have to share it with anyone else. And they did offer transportation to and from school. But I do have to say that the reason that they offer a lot of 
incentives to teachers who want to come over to Kuwait is because Kuwait's really boring. <laughs> and I'm not like, no, I'm not mincing right, my right. words here. Like there's very little things to do. It's a dry country. There's no alcohol. There's no bars. There's no nightclubs. And even though I'm not into those things, I was still bored a lot of my time there. So they do know that and they do have to offer a lot more incentives for people to come over there. So those are the things that I did have when I worked in Kuwait. The UAE is very different. The job market is very competitive. People want to move here. And now that I live here, I can kind of understand why. Because it's a good life. Things are very easy. It's kind of the perfect balance between the Arabian culture, but also Western privileges. Mm -hmm. So like you could, for example, get alcohol whenever you wanted to at certain places, of course, not anywhere you feel like it's not Europe. But yeah, you do have that option if you want to. It's not really a conservative society here in Dubai. Like I could wear shorts and go out and that would be perfectly acceptable. Whereas there are in other Gulf countries, like I definitely would not be showing off my legs. So here in the UAE, it's kind of dependent on your school, whether they offer accommodation or transportation. In the bigger cities, most schools don't offer transportation from what I know. So a lot of people have to get cars. It's not really a well-developed public transportation system either. I personally am not in a contract where housing is given to me. So that's something... I've had to sort out on my own. There's a lot of benefits with that as well. You know, you get to choose your own place. You get to choose how to furnish it and make yourself comfortable. And in this case, it kind of prepares you for staying for a longer time than in Kuwait, where I was literally just there for a year and I didn't have anything. Like I just stayed in that apartment and then whatever I came with, I packed up and I left, you know, so... Yeah, it's very different. And as you mentioned earlier, a lot of things are dependent on your employer. Here in the Gulf, your employer is your lifeline. You know, without your employer's, I don't want to say blessing, but like permission, there's a lot of things that would be very difficult for you to do. So yeah, it's really dependent. Like I can't give a general answer about what you can expect if you were coming to teach it. It really depends on your contract and your okay, school. And that's fair enough, I think. You're right. In China, most international schools, or certified international schools will provide housing. Some just give you a stipend and you have to figure that out on your own. If you're like a lang lang English language academy, I think that's what they call it, then you're, you're pretty much on your own as well. So it, it, you're right. It really depends on the country and what you're looking for. And I mean, if someone were to come to you and say, I want to teach overseas, but I have no idea what I should even consider? Like, what would you tell that person? Well, the first thing I would tell them is to consider the reasons why they want to move abroad. Because a lot of people have this kind of view that everything's rosy and there's no challenges. But if you want to be a successful expat, you have to, you have to be aware that it's a demanding position for you to be in. The kind of challenges that you face in your home country are not necessarily the kind of challenges that you would face when you live abroad. And for the better part, you are living a life in two places simultaneously all the time. So what I find is when I'm here in the Middle East, I miss South Africa, I miss my family, I miss my friends back home. But at the same time, when I go to South Africa... I miss the Gulf. I miss the convenience of living here. I feel like I can't relate to people 
who have been in South Africa, you know, for their whole life. And I've had very different experiences from them. So there's kind of this constant push and pull. And if you want to move abroad, you need to be aware of those challenges. You need to be aware that this is not some kind of utopian paradise and everything's going to work out for you and you're going to earn loads of money and you're going to be going to the ATM with a huge suitcase to put all your cash inside. It's not like that at all. I know it sounds stupid, but a lot of people message me and they think that there are no challenges with this kind of lifestyle. So for someone who, you know, is at the starting point, I would say, what are your reasons for going? Do you think that you could deal with, you know, things just happening to you that you can't explain? Like in in a foreign country, a lot of things happen and you can't explain it. Like there's no logic behind things. Whereas we understand the logic behind things in the places that we come from. And I'm from Africa and that's saying something too. Like I can put up with a lot and I can understand a lot, but still sometimes things happen in the Middle East and I'm just like, are you having a laugh? Like this makes no sense whatsoever, but you're expected to do it. And a lot of people are not okay with that. They're not flexible. They find it difficult to adapt. They like their routine, their style of doing things, you know, You really have to be open-minded and aware that you're going to have to change. Like, that's a hard thing for people to hear. They they are like, oh, no, I love who I am and nothing's going to change me and I don't want to lose who I am. And I totally respect that. But the experience is going to change you and you're going to have to adapt if you want to be successful. And you will not believe the amount of people I see and hear about who can't cut it because they're not flexible. They're not adapting. They expect it to be exactly as it was wherever they came from. They're always saying things like, oh, you know, where I'm from, we do it this way. This is the best way. And that doesn't really work here. I don't think it works anywhere. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Everybody has their own different systems of doing things and you just have to like survival of the fittest, really. I think I went off on a tangent there, but (laughs) yeah, the reasons, the reasons are so important and asking yourself, Am I prepared for this whole lifestyle and possible character change and possible mindset change? And if I'm not, then I need to pull back because then I don't want to, you know, like I see people become miserable here. And I just feel like those people didn't examine or didn't have enough information about the situation they were getting themselves into. No, I think that's a beautiful answer. I think I hear so much of like, Oh, great, Sarah, you were able to save so much money because you lived in a China and it's much lower standard of living. And I'll admit, like I talk a lot about the benefits, but there are downsides. And with anything in life, you have to figure out, are you willing to go through some of those challenges in order to get what you think you want or what you want? And I think that's a that's a really beautiful answer. So thank you so much for that. All right. One last question is... How are you living beyond the dollar? Well, my interpretation of living beyond the dollar would be, am I enjoying the money that I'm making? And I'm not saying I'm making copious amounts of money. Again, I'm going back to that point where I'm not going to the ATM with my suitcase. But I'm not here to just work. I knew I came here with purpose. I knew I came here to travel and I knew I came here to document my travels and to inspire and help other people to travel too. So yes, I think I'm living beyond the dollar because I earn good money. I do a job that I love, not necessarily at a place that I love, but that's another story for another podcast. 
And I enjoy my travels. I enjoy my free time, you know, here in Dubai. It's like a, anything is possible city. You know, there's a lot of events. There's a lot of cultural exhibitions. There's anything you want, you can find at certain times of the year. And I love that. I love that I'm meeting people from all over the world, people I know I wouldn't meet if I had never moved abroad. And I feel like all of that, that whole experience, the whole expat experience, the whole living in the Middle East, for me, all of that is living beyond the dollar. So not just earning money, but earning money to enjoy life. And I know for everybody, it's different. People come out here, you know, to pay off debt, to save whatever it is. But for me, if I wasn't enjoying the money I was earning, I probably wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just a pandemic. Love it. So where can people find you online? <laughs> so I do have a blog. It's www.expatpanda.com. And I am pretty active on Instagram. You can find me there. My handle is at expatpanda. And yeah, through both those channels, you can send me an email if you have any specific questions about living abroad, getting a teaching job, or any of the travels that I've done. I do have a section on my blog called Teaching Abroad, and I outline the interview process, um, recruiters that you can use, and documents that you might need if you are moving to the Middle East. So I have done quite a comprehensive roundup of the whole process of moving to this region and what it may or may not entail for you. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you can feel free to email me. Awesome. Thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation and got a bit of an insight what it means to be an expat, even if it's just a little glimpse. I'm glad Anissa came on. We connected on Instagram and she's sharing her experiences. So you're not just hearing about mine. So My parting thought and question for you is, if you're considering traveling, especially long-term, why? What is the real reason for it? And be very, very clear because you're going to want to refer to that when things do get tough. Another equally important question is, are you willing to get out of your comfort zone? What are some ways you can test your tolerance for unknown situations in small doses? If you're not sure about your comfort zone, it's really, really important to, to figure that before you commit to something you're like oh i you know that's not for me (laughs) now if you've tested that um and you feel like you're ready to go overseas then you want to think about the financial stuff right what's your plan for saving enough money you know maybe something doesn't work out or you have to leave what are some of the ways you're going to be able to save how can you access money in the country that you're in those are all very very important considerations to make i mean think about when anisa and i chatted about not being paid for the first month in a bit and we had to cover our own expenses until our paychecks arrived, right? Those are all very important considerations. All right, so it's time to answer your questions about living beyond the dollar. And this uh, section is brought to you by Fabric. And so like I mentioned in the introduction, go to www.meetfabric.com to check out them out, including the free products they offer like Fabric Wills and Fabric Vault. So again, Alison Cade, the millennial money expert and editorial director of Fabric, has helped me answer today's question, which is from Anonymous. So question is, I find it really hard to say no to friends who want to go out for drinks after work. 
I love them, but I'm tired of going out and hearing them complain and I just spend way too much money on drinks. I mean, I enjoy them, but I end up regretting going out when I know I could be saving some of the money. Is there a way I can say no or buy my time short with my friends without hurting their feelings? So assuming buy your time short means you want to leave early, which is totally, totally valid. And both Allison and I agree that this sounds like a social problem, a boundaries problem, just as much as a financial one. And if you have stuck with me with Beyond the Dollar for a while, you know, I preach and preach about setting really good boundaries and I'm not going to go and, and preach to you about this. <laughs> so just listen to any previous episodes and you'll, you'll hear me kind of blab on about that. Now, it can be difficult because if you love being with your friends, but you want to save money and they seem like they're in conflict, then there they're really has to be a way to find, you got to find a way to make it work, right? It, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think that's one of the misconceptions that people feel like they have to choose money over friends or friends over money, especially if they spend differently. That's not true at all. I mean, I have friends who love to splurge on designer handbags and we're very, very good friends. That's something that I don't value. And so we don't spend time going shopping, but we do a lot of other things together. So for you, Anonymous, if you love being with them, but you want to save money at the same time, Allison suggests, which I think is a great idea, is to try ordering non-alcoholic drinks. That could save you a little bit of money. Or you can alternate alcoholic drinks with non-alcoholic drinks. And if you feel like you want to provide a reason or an excuse, just chalk it up to a cleanse or you know, a desire to be healthy. You can even be open and say, listen, my bank account's running really low, but I want to spend time with you. If you feel like you can be open and honest about that, then that's totally fine. If you really don't want to hang out with them, if this is more just a not a financial issue, you're just kind of using as an excuse, you know, be honest about it. Like you want to set some boundaries up in terms of maybe these friendships aren't totally for me, or you don't want to spend as much time with them. Again, it sounds like you don't want to hear them complain. Then if you feel bad, make an excuse to get out of it or find some way to get out early. And there you could, again, chalk up to having no money. You can find some reason to go somewhere else, maybe like a family obligation, things like that. But at the end of the day, if something's not making you happy, if you don't want to be somewhere, people are going to be able to tell. And if these are your friends, but you just don't want to go out and drink with them and hear them complain, but they are getting the vibe that you don't want to be there, they're going to assume that you don't want to be there for any occasion. And then maybe that friendship, unfortunately, might might drift. And so if you don't want that, but you then really carefully consider like how can you be more present in other situations? Or be really clear and say, like, listen, I'm just gonna have one drink and I'm gonna go home. And start practicing in small doses in that way. Start saying no or start putting up boundaries or guidelines as they like to call them and see how that works. So thanks so much Anonymous for submitting that question. If any of you out there have any questions about living beyond the dollar, hit me up on Instagram at beyond the dollar, or you can certainly email me hello at beyondthedollar.co. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. 
tag them on Instagram, on one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar, send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. And if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, don't you love the new intro music? Thank you so much to Donovan Durant for providing this awesome song.